Hey everybody, welcome to the Motorfly Podcast. This is episode 14 or 15, I don't know, whichever one it is, but we got a great episode for you guys today, so let's get into it. What's up, guys? Well, what is up, my dude? It's been a minute since we we were together. Together. And Josh, yeah, we're still not. We're still, we're, yeah. we're still not. You're here in spirit. Yeah. <laughs> He is a speaking spirit. Those phone waves. Yeah, I, I, I was, I look over and I'm, I got a stark reminder of what usually is Josh, because he normally has, he's, he has this burliness, yeah, sticking out. A lot of man, you know, he's a lot of man. It's a big, you know, hairy fellow. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of (laughs) like carpet world. But we don't have Josh here. <laughs> That's right. We wouldn't mess with you if you were still on the hunt. Yeah, bro. A lot of man. They're like, they're like, like if you've ever seen Sasquatch, but shorter and a little fatter. Yeah, that's our boy. Yeah. Uh, not not much shorter. You're pretty 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 big dude. Yeah. Well, I, I I I like it though. So, um, we got a pretty good podcast here today. But probably this is been a much needed overdue um we have two fisheries biologists with us today um david bogner smart dudes in the house smart dudes in the house smart uh, dudes in the house david bogner he's a fisheries biologist on the lower mountain fork river down in broken bow bogner 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 see i, I knew i was gonna screw no, that i got your I, back bogner no. listen <laughs> i've known this dude for years and i still call him bogner so you do whatever you want, Dan. It, it, it's okay. I've been called far worse. As so, some of us aren't good at English. Okay. Oh, well, <laughs> it's it, it's it is my second language. Um, and then we have Ethan, Ethan Lovelace from the Blue River, Blue Lady Blue, the lovely, mm. the lovely, the lovely, lovely, the lovely Ethan. Devil in a blue dress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. Represent Lady Blue in Lady the house. Blue. So we got a series of questions and, and things and some good discussions that we're going to talk to with these guys, mainly surrounding how they manage fisheries and what goes into managing these fisheries and some of the decisions they make. And I'm going to push a lot of buttons today for some of you listeners so it's, it's this is not an offense this is more of uh getting the information straight from the horse's mouth so yep. we can figure out what's actually going on and how these guys do their job um to be able to allow us to enjoy catching these things 100%. So, yeah yep. yeah hey, before before we get into the, the science of it i do want to state something that is probably obvious to some of us but not obvious to others when you deal with a wildlife department that is controlled by the legislation, there is at times a separation between what actually happens and what our biologists want to see happen. Yeah, they're the smart and at guys. No point, and at no point in time should there be judgment upon the wildlife department 
happens in reality because sometimes it's not what the biologists want at all. So that leaves me... We live in a state where they don't actually have a voice because our legislation controls our wildlife department. They should be given a lot of grace. So what happened to you? What happened to you? What happened to your biological science? Like, look at you. I mean, what happened? He's a hybrid squash. He's like a Viking. He's a hybrid. He's like a a Cuddy Rain Brown. (laughs) (laughs) It's a botched experiment. Gosh, Josh. But that's, I'm glad Josh said that because um, he's right. Yeah, we're not going to beat these guys up, man. They got a job to do. They got somebody to report to. So um, they're just here to make sure that they take care of the fish and the wildlife that are part of their areas. So, um, and, and that continue to bless us and our families for generations. Yeah. And stuff like that. And they use this stuff too. Like they, they, they play in that, those same areas too. So they, they want to make sure stuff is taken care of. So uh-huh. appreciate that, Josh. You're so sweet. <laughs> Did he fall off? Because if he fell, no. If he no. if he fell no. off, I am not calling him back. <laughs> I am going to fall off because there's going to be a there's a section the way I'm going. What did I, I tell you? There's going to be a dead zone. Yeah. 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 All right. So let's get into this, and we're going to kind of turn it over to these guys, and and um, so. We'll just let you guys kind of introduce yourselves and tell us what you do, where you're from, and how long you've been doing yeah, it. Yeah, how you got into this. All right. My name is Ethan Lovelace. I am uh, the biologist at uh, the Blue River Public Fishing and Hunting Area. Um, from a, a young age, I knew uh, I was always going to be in the outdoor industry. Um, I grew up fishing. We had a large... Uh, flood control lake that I grew up on, bass fishing it, um, knew for a fact I was going to be a pro bass fisherman, um, right. and uh, realized later that that probably wasn't going to happen and I could have a better impact on uh, on fisheries as a whole as a, as a biologist or somebody working for a department or a private industry or something like that. And, um, so I knew from a young age this is what I wanted to do and what I wanted to dabble in, um, so I went into a wildlife and fisheries program after high school and got a degree and went to Georgia and was a reservoir tech for uh, three and a half years and then managed a hatchery out there and got the opportunity to come back closer to home where our family is and uh, joined in with uh, ODWC as a fisheries technician for the Blue River. Mm-hmm. And then uh, more recently, um, since September, I I promoted up to biologist, and that's kind of where I, I uh, got to where I am today. I fished blue as a child yeah. with my dad. That's awesome. That was where I caught my first um, trout was at Blue River, so I, I have a little bit of background there. Yeah. And uh, I guess life brings us in full circle, and now I work there, and it's a beautiful place to be. Absolutely. And that's, wow. that's your office day in, day out. That's dope. That's day cool. in, day out. I'm there every day. Yeah, that's cool. That's 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 a true full circle moment right there. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. So, how old were you when you think you and your dad got that first trap? How long ago was that? You think? Uh, I was probably eight or nine. Oh yeah. So we're yeah. talking. And you're probably like twenty one now, right? Twenty one plus, you know, thirteen, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you're right. Who's yeah. counting? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is a cool story, man. Yeah. So, uh, Bogner, how about you, man? Right. So I'm not originally from here. Uh, 
grew up in Nebraska, mm-hmm. and um, I decided I wanted to go in this field a little bit later than most people, so I didn't know since, you know, as a little kid. Uh, but um, I always liked the outdoors, hunting, fishing, things like that. And so I actually started going to school for the wildlife side of it. And then all the opportunities I had were within fisheries. And instead of fighting it, I just went with that. Right. Um, so I uh, graduated from South Dakota State, uh, went over to University of Illinois after that, and then came down here um, into southeast Oklahoma. And so uh, I'm the biologist for the southeast part of the state. I have uh, Pittsburgh County, Latimer, LaFleur, Push, Choctaw, and McCurtain County. And within those falls the two trash streams we have down there, so the Mountain Fork as well as Robbers Cave. Uh, so a little bit different than Ethan in that I have a bunch of water bodies and don't get to do as much on the land um, and, and, and a little bit more spread out than that. So, right. um, But, yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah, because what Ethan has over there is, you know, hunting opportunities as well on, on your land. Yeah, so my opportunity as a biologist of the Blue River public fishing and hunting area is a lot different than most. Um, you know, we have six and a quarter miles of, of riverfront that we have um, that we own. And uh, that is a wintertime trout fishery. And summertime, we're stocking catfish. And uh, it's an excellent bass fishery as well. But along the side of that, I get the opportunity to dabble into wildlife. And, you know, we're doing food plots and managing for deer and turkey. Um, so, you know, it's, it's there's both sides of that equation and, and there's really nobody else in the state that gets to dabble in that so as yeah. far as bodies of water and stuff it's just blue river for myself it's not any reservoirs or um department lakes or anything like that like david has yeah. um, so it, it really is unique um so would you say most wmas around the state is managed similar to that so if it, uh, without the water without the water yeah i mean so you know most wmas are just going to be strictly wildlife management sure. so you know we have different divisions within within the ODWC or the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation. And um, I'm just in a really unique position to, that I get to mm. dabble in fisheries and wildlife. That is um, cool. Yeah, that yeah. is. That so is you really get to cool. like wear a couple hats, you know, in your, in your position and, and, and dabble in both things. And, and uh, David, so you, you've got some, some really cool bodies of water out there. And uh, absolutely. You've yeah. got, you, so do you have McGee Creek? No, I, I do not have that one. That one's in, uh, I think, in Atoka. Atoka. Yep. Okay. Yep. What does McCurtain has? So in McCurtain County, we have uh, Broken Bow, we have Pine Creek, and then Pine Creek. Yep, down in Choctaw, we have Hugo, and we have Worcester up in uh, LaFleur. Uh, I've also got Sardis. Those, Sardis. Those are, those, those are the the big, what we call the big five down there. Yeah. Um, so that takes up a lot of my time, as well as the trap fishery. Yeah, what is that Smalley River that's down there? The Glover? The Glover. The Glover, yeah. yeah. Yep. yep. So, yep. And, and that's a little bit different as well because within and the Kaimishi. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So, so within ODWC, you know, we, we're we're kind of compartmentalized. We have our regions, then you know, Ethan has his Blue River, but we also have uh, what's referred to as the Stream Team in Oklahoma, and so there are guys, and uh, there's four of them, and all they do is rivers and streams. So okay. That's really who does most of our rivers and streams throughout the state. So four guys, the whole state of Oklahoma, they just go at it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so do they, do they tag team this or do they quadranted off? So, so, so they, they take it in, in kind of drainages. So they, it takes mm-hmm. all four of them to go out and do their, their, their sampling. But so when you talk about the Glover, I, I don't really do anything on the Glover. Uh, I drive over it from time to time, but yeah. the, the, those are the guys who, who go out and do that. So 
we're, we're kind of limited in, in some of the knowledge we have just because of how much we have going on and, and have to do. But sure. we have a, a group of guys that are real excellent at what they do, real smart, and uh, that's what they handle. Yeah, you know, that, speaking of which, that might be a – if we can pin one of them dudes down one time and have one of those stream dudes on here. Stream team, baby. The stream team. Yep. Yeah, yep. absolutely, man. Just to specifically talk about these moving bodies of water. Yeah, um, we, we might know a couple guys that know these guys. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. yeah <laughs> we got an in. I tried getting one of them to come on with us, um, but they are pretty deep in their community sampling right now. So oh, I get it. Um, yeah, couldn't make it. It's per, there's probably uh, seasonal waves for them it, as well. It very, oh yeah, very yeah. very much so. And right now they're full bore. I mean, they are in the the mix of everything. And like David said, they're they're on a rotation with with. Um, Don't worry about it. With their water bodies, or, or not their water bodies, but their um, watersheds. Mm-hmm. So they're doing like this rotation so they can uh, compare these fish communities from not year to year, but from whatever that rotation is. It may take them five, six years to go through that rotation and make it back to that same body or that same water drainage. Right. And so they're, they're monitoring whole communities at a time and, and mm-hmm. using different sampling gears to effectively sample all these different fishes. So in, in that kind of where I said, you know, there's different w- seasonal waves of, you know, being busy and the different kind of things you do. So right now, Ethan, in your shoes, you know, you, you've wrapped up trout season out there at the blue and stuff. Um, what What is your kind of day to day look like now that that kind of crazy time is over for you? Yeah. So, um, you know, our, our trout season per se is actually the stocking season that we're actually stocking, actively stocking trout right. November through March. Um, but you know, I, I've heard of a few trout being caught within the last two weeks, so there's still a few remaining. Um, but you know, summertime we're switching over to stocking channel catfish, mm-hmm. and then I mentioned the bass, um, the bass fishing earlier, and it is um, it's it's a pretty good bass fishery, really, in smallmouth, really largemouth, and 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 spotted. Yeah. Um, but a lot of our a lot of my time is also people management. We have campgrounds, mm. and oh, so yeah. we're managing those. There's a lot of mowing, and then um we're planting uh food plots we just finished with um some dove food plots so we're managing for dove planting sunflower fields and then uh, Mm -hmm. you know so there's always something going on um we mentioned the campgrounds you know making sure that they're they're tidied up you know we have several bathrooms that we're in charge of taking care of Mm -hmm. um so people management is a large part of our a large part of my job yeah Um, we have Roughly, I don't know, seventy thousand visitors annually. Yeah, wow. um, that's a lot of. A that's lot a lot of, of people. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of refuse. Um, I understand that uh, the, the the refuse problem, the trash problem at the blue is is significant. You know, I mean, I've joined hands with Ethan. You know, uh, just boots on the ground, cleaning up out there. Um, you'll hear it on their Facebook. You know, year long, people just leaving all kinds mm. of stuff, man. So, guys, pick up your stuff, dude. Yeah, I mean, come on, man. Let's respect our resources and yeah, let's for ourselves. Pick, pick up your, your, your <coughs> trashes. Yeah, yeah. Quit leaving your shit around. Yeah, right? that, quit leaving your mattresses there, please. <laughs> Good <laughs> Sanford night. Sanford and Son out there. <laughs> so I from and we were just talking before we start recording, like some of the like the biggest differences between like me moving here from Utah 
and how they manage, say, the Green River, which is actually a dual management system because the BLM manages a portion of the green and then the Forest Service picks up another portion of it. And each one of those has fisheries biologists that, that, that deal with that. But so, and there's, there's individual challenges with, with all of that. So I would say for you in your area, um, what's some of the bigger challenges that you may have down with, with what you do specifically? Right. So with, with, with in my area, uh, I have some forest land. Most of those, the, the big five uh, reservoirs that we talked about, are those are all Army Corps of Engineers. Uh, so okay. we go through the Army Corps of Engineers doing stuff there. We, you know, we pretty much have uh, the ability to just go out and do what we need. But you know, we're, if we're doing a habitat project, you know, we, we, we loop them in as well. Uh, we, we work out on uh, Cedar Lake. So when we go out to Cedar Lake with the bass, we we loop the Forest Service in uh, Mountain Fork can't forget the state parks so yeah. you know that they own all that down there and uh you know we're we're kind of just dabbling in that water body sure so um you know working with all these different entities is, is one of the bigger things but uh for us it's probably being spread out whereas ethan has all everything right there at the blue you know our office is you know an hour to two from most of our water bodies so when we need to do oh, our, okay. you know, mowing, it's, you know, throw stuff on the trailer, drive an hour and a half, get it knocked out, drive back. Yeah, uh, wow. You know, two hours, one way to, to stock trout. And, you know, we're fortunate enough to have trout year-round at the Mountain Fork, and we're stocking every two to three weeks, whereas uh, the blue is, is just a wintertime fishery. So right. we're always going down there, doing stuff, taking water temps. Uh, it's, I really like it because it's always different. It, it, mm-hmm. we're, we're always doing something maybe not crazy but uh always getting to mix it up so it might be we're doing a controlled burn on one of our public fishing areas that we have it might be that we're white bass sampling way up in a creek and we pull up a 10 pound hybrid it, you know it, it just right. it's all sorts of crazy stuff and, and are I like you the, taking that. notes oh yeah okay uh, it's re- i'm recording this oh. i don't know if you know this but i forgot we're recording <laughs> yeah. i'm just just saying <laughs> I heard 10 pound. I did too. It was all. <laughs> bing, bing, bing. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, what, what challenges, I mean, do you, each of you face in your own respective areas and, and where can anglers help you guys do your job? Yeah. Especially like, let's say down at the blue, yours is a little bit different because mm-hmm. you're so spread out. You know, Ethan's a little bit more concentrated in where he's at on the blue. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, we're, you know, with all those people does come the trash that you're talking about. Um, people uh, don't always respect the laws. And uh, so there's a lot of um, a lot of uh, broken laws down there. You know, I, I would tell people to read the regulations, stop and slow down, read the signs yeah. coming in. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about kind of like um, – Catch limits, Catch, size, um, yes. or just, or you know, just to be on the property, you're supposed to have a hunting or a fishing license or the conservation passport if you're of the age of eighteen. Or yeah, um, and so people think, hey, I'm not hunting, I'm not fishing. Let's go here uh, um, and just recreate know, and recreate. This is a user pay user benefit area, meaning it was purchased with the sales of hunting and fishing license, and so we require that's a requirement to be on the property. Okay, See, so man, that's really good to know. Yeah, let's, let's go into that, and and I might have you explain that a little bit more because I, I don't think, 
and, and maybe the vast majority of people understand that, but I, I think we that that's worth talking about. I think so too. I think we can clarify this for people, and that's 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 going to help Ethan in, in his uh, you know efforts towards that as well. So if you go down to the Blue River and you're going to fish, obviously you need to have a state fishing license that's valid. Correct. Right. Yep. yep. If you're going to go down there and recreate, you need to have a fishing license, hunting license. Or that conservation passport. Or the conservation passport. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and that, that includes if you're just going down there to camp, you better have or a hunting or fishing license. If you just want to go the down passport. there and drive and look at the place, you're supposed to have that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think I knew this, you know, from reading, you know, a few years ago and something, but it's never something that really adhered to my mind because I know I've got a lifetime fishing license. So I'm... A lot of that stuff I read, I'm just like, well, that doesn't really apply to me, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm good to go. Yeah. But, you know. But I, it's I, and or. Right. Yeah. 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 So, so obviously, if you're down there fishing, you've got you to have, have a fishing, fishing license. license. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're just down there recreating, the conservation passport is one of your options. The yeah. other two would work as well. Yeah. So if you're going to go down and camp. Yeah. And you're, let's say, just moved to Oklahoma and you found the Blue River. Mm-hmm. These are the things you need to have. If yeah. you're going to go down there and recreate, I, aside from fishing or hunting, you still got to have these things. You got to have yes. one. A one, one, of, have one of the one, three. One of the yeah. three. And a lot of a lot of a lot of outdoorsmen have the hunting and fishing combo sure. you know, pass and stuff like that. So, um, but I the the idea and the terminology of the passport. Mm-hmm. Um, can you expand on that a little bit for our listeners? I'm not sure everybody's hip to actually what that is. Yeah, the passport. Uh, it's just another form of licenses that we're receiving revenue. Like I said, it's a it's a, a user pay user benefit. That's how the land was purchased with the sales of those licenses. And so, um, we, as a department, we feel it's important that people pay in for that. One hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and and so the place can be managed. So the place can be managed. We're receiving funds. Yep. Um, so this, that, and, and it takes money to upkeep these places, and that's just a way to ensure that that keeps coming in. So this is 100% Oklahoma taxpayer dollars? No, no. So, is there some so, federal? So, so, sorry, I'm going to have to hop. Okay, you're getting into some of it, but just, yeah. just to kind of, um, kind of educate people on some of this. But it all comes back, and I hate, I hate to be the nerd in the room, but no, the please North, do. Please. North American model of wildlife management, something that everyone – who goes in this field tends to learn like, you know, kind of day one. And, you know, uh, back in the early 1900s, you know, it was the wild, wild west, people just slaughtering bison, you know, catching all the fish, you know, dynamite, shotguns, it didn't matter. So uh, what kind of came up as the way to manage everything is is called the North American model. And there's seven main tenets of the North American model. And so the first one is that wildlife resources are held and conserved in trust for all citizens. The other part is a uh, the elimination of commerce and dead wildlife. Wildlife is allocated according to the democratic rule of law. Wildlife may only be killed for le- legitimate purposes. Wildlife is an international resource, mm, so it doesn't yeah. really apply quite as much in, in Oklahoma, aside from your ducks, your geese, your, your migraine species. We don't have migraine fish like they might do on the West Coast or East Coast. Uh, every person has equal opportunity under the law participate in hunting and fishing and that's and that's one of those big pushbacks on on how it used to be in europe uh prior to you know with the king's deer and, and all that yeah, and right. then the last part yeah. is, is one of the most important is the scientific management 
is the proper means for wildlife conservation. That's how we manage things. Yeah. And the way it works in Oklahoma is we don't receive any state tax appropriations. Ah, okay. So with it being paid for by hunters and anglers, if you want to come on, you know, we, 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 we want any, everyone to come. You want to come camp, you, you know, uh, this is, you're talking about um, uh, inconvenient trees earlier. And, and so this is going to be our first one is the, actually the, the biggest um, group in terms of, uh, money spent with fish and wildlife is actually by what people who like to watch wildlife. Uh-huh. So your birders, your your people going up to Yellowstone watching stuff. The way um, some of the money is the match when we're talking about the kind of that federal match is raised is uh, a federal tax mm-hmm. on uh, you know binoculars and fish finders uh, and, and all okay. that sort of stuff. Well, yeah. to to match with that, we have to have the fishing license, the hunting license. And that conservation uh-huh. passport is a way for us to count those who don't fish and don't hunt and help uh-huh. have them help pay so that they can come out and enjoy these areas to help us. As well. Yeah. Okay. So, so this, them having that conservation passport makes them a license. Right. Okay. Yeah. can receive the federal match. From yeah. Them. Okay. This, um, this passport, is this something that can be purchased for like a day use thing or is it an annual thing or can you buy a lifetime or, or how does that work out? Yeah. So they have a, you know, an annual or a three day, mm-hmm. and, and so depending on how long you're planning on being at an area. Okay, um, so you can't buy a three day. Yeah, yeah you can buy it. Is it three or five? Three, three day. And so you can have yourself a long weekend. Yeah. Out there. Yep. 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 Yeah. Perfect. No, that's good information because I, I mean, I just learned something. Oh. Right. And I knew there was some type of, you know, balance with the federal government on how that funding works, which. Yeah. You know, it, and and it's good to know that which is aren't. clear as mud to me. But um, David helped us out with the North American model, and I'll read that on my own time now too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, so, and so with the, the federal match, the way it is, um, the it, it's the Dingle Johnson, uh, and that's the fishery side of it, and then Pittman Robertson Act is the wildlife the side. The wildlife of it. side, yeah. And that basically there's there's a 11 percent tax on you know, like your fishing tackle, your your bullets mm-hmm. and, and and all that, and so. The, the way that's matched is it's a 75-25. The state provides 25%. We get 75% uh, from the federal federal government based on the number of license holders we have and the size of our state or the number of water or size of those water bodies yeah. type things. So cool. just from that small, huge conversation, it's super important that you guys get your fishing license. You know? Oh, yeah. Not only is it the law. Right, like you'll get, they'll they'll get you. Right, yes. you don't want to be got and your gear. <laughs> yeah. Get all your your stuff, stuff and stuff. Yeah, it's it it helps the fisheries. It helps the wildlife department. It's the legacy of it all. You, you want buy it? licenses. Yeah, yeah. So awesome. Hey, on that on that note, I think David and Ethan, it'd be interesting to if you would agree that outside of humans in general, the biggest threat to our wildlife assets and the proper management of them in the state of Oklahoma is money. Is that fair to say? I think it's, let let me phrase that differently. I think it's one of our greatest challenges because we are funding limited. Uh, You were asking Ethan earlier, you know, what can people at the Blue River do to help him out? Mm-hmm. And one of the things 
uh, is that we are currently, the wildlife department is currently operating on a 2004 uh, operating budget. Mm -hmm. So with inflation, our our budget hasn't changed because we haven't had a license. Did you say 2004? 2004. So So it's about to be 20 years old. Yeah. So, wow. so, so, so the funding we have to operate the Blue River, to upkeep the Blue River, to cut, upkeep all our public fishing areas, our wildlife areas, that's, that's still at that 2004 level. They've, they've kind of maintained that. We had a slight license increase in 2012, I believe mm-hmm. it was. But, you know, since then we've had kind of a rampant inflation and all that. But our, our prices have been set by the legislature. Mm-hmm. The wildlife department can't set those. Sure. Ah. And so when you're looking at what can people do, uh, the wildlife department, our our director JD, they've been pushing really hard uh, to get the ability to raise those license prices, mm-hmm. so we can start acting like it's you know 2023 and yeah. fund fund things at the level that they need to be. So when you ask people, you know, when you ask what can people do, it's you know, reach out and and tell your your representatives that you know you you support helping change uh, or updating our licenses so that we can make a better experience for all our users. Yeah. And I would, I would go as far as to say just in, you know, the way that inflation works and how things are, things are 10 times more expensive than they used to be. And, you know, the wildlife department, I would imagine you're no different than any other entity within Oklahoma state. Right. And, the price of goods have gone up. So if you got to build another picnic table, wood isn't the same as it was in 2004. No, that mower right? that they're keeping that place clean with. Yeah. That thing's no longer 5,000 bucks. It's sure. like it's 15,000. 15, yeah. So straight up, you know, when you guys are harping about, Oh, you got a ticket because you had five too many trout or whatever the case may be. I was like, well, just think about it. Pay it. They're still operating on a, budget that was written in 2004 it's archaic at this point yeah it's a pretty antiquated system that i'm sure in the minds of many it probably works right but we have these all these other little ancillary pieces that are out there that are making it extremely difficult for these guys to do the things that they probably need to do 100 um so yeah i agree with you ping your legislators ping your you know your state representatives and all those people that say hey i support the is any of that stuff coming up for vote soon or anything like that that's that's so, all passed for this year. Yeah, session's done. Okay. Yeah. So, and on that note, so that it's very, very clear to our listeners who live in this state, the people you have elected have with choice and with vigor denied the opportunity to improve Oklahoma's wildlife. There has been a bill for almost six years now that has been denied by the legislator. It has been at times hidden by the legislators so that people didn't know about it. But the Oklahoma legislation has made it very clear that they do not care about the betterment and the protection of Oklahoma's natural resources. And so if you're listening and you live here, this isn't a suggestion. This is a this is straight gospel. If you want it to be here for your children, you better get on the phone, you better write the letter, you better get in your car, and you better drive up to the Capitol and make your voice heard. Or the hands of the 
educated and passionate people of the wildlife department will continue to be handcuffed by the legislation and the state of Oklahoma. Yeah. So it's where Josh is saying, man, just get behind it and help and, you know, uh, talk to your legislation. And, <clears throat> you know, if you really want to be helped, the best way to do it is, is, is that way other than picking up trash and paying your stuff and, you know, just, just be aware, be involved. You know, if any of these things come up, you know, talk to your legislators and, yeah, and I'm pretty sure if you got a free Saturday and you roll up on Ethan and be like, can I help you today? He will put you to work. <laughs> right. All right. He will put you. Now, you're not going to get no free fishing license, so don't be asking don't that. Don't be asking that. No. But he will put you to work in doing something. You're going to fix a fence. You're going to You know, we need that fence line. It's yeah. two miles long. You better yeah. take your Benadryl. All right. You better right? put your freaking tick spray on because <laughs> you're going to be in it. Oh, uh, yeah. So... Here's here's a good question for you. So in, in all of the in your guys' bandwidth, how in the world do you assess the health of these fish? Because I know like that, the fish, like each species or the fishery itself. No, just the, the fish themselves, because right. you know, you gotta have healthy fish, right? Because you know, one fish could kill, you know, thousands of fish or whatever. So when you guys are going around like this the, the, the stream team, right? Yeah. Are these guys sampling or, or looking at the fish itself saying, okay, yes, this is a healthy fishery? And what, is that, what does that look like? You want to take that one? That's a lot better question for you. You sample <laughs> a lot more fisheries than I Right. So, <laughs> so um, it, it's not necessarily the health of every individual fish. Yeah, no. You know, yeah. So it's more of that fishery that you're talking about as yeah. a whole. So uh, you know, let's, let's use bass because it's one of the things that we're, we're really good at growing down here and we do a lot of sampling for. So... Um, when we're going out and we're, we're sampling our bass, we're looking at our catch rates. And, and it's more of a monitoring thing. Mm-hmm. Like your catch rates as far as like your electrofishing surveys? Exactly, right. Yeah. So okay. our catch rates, uh, you know, how many are we catching? It's a, a per hour unit. Um, catch per pay. unit effort. Yep, catch per unit effort. Got it, got it. Yep, and so we, we do that on the hour basis. Our samples don't last an hour, but, you know, we, we look at it, okay, we caught 100 fish an hour, we caught 200 fish an hour, mm-hmm. et cetera. The other things we're going to look at is what does our length – groups look like how mm-hmm. how long are these fish how many of them are 10 inches how many are 14 inches etc uh we're also looking at weights uh, we have different equations to relate the weight to the length of the fish uh called relative weight mm-hmm. um we uh we look at you know basically it, it's the plumpness of the fish um did you hear that josh <laughs> the, the plumpness I'm going to start using that word. So these are like f- fish dimensions and stuff too. Right, right. Yeah. Yep. So so they're all researched, you know, that they're uh, standardized by the length of fish. So we, so we look at that. Now, when you talk, talk about health of the fish, uh, we, we do look at that somewhat. Uh, sometimes you'll have fish that are un- unhealthy. I just talked to someone the other day. Uh, they called a bunch of fish that had worms. So, mm-hmm. you know, worms, grubs aren't uncommon in right. fish down here. Yeah. Um, right. If we find one or two, that's one thing. If we find quite a few, you know, it's like, okay, all right, we're, you know, we're going to watch this a little closely, but there's not too much we can do. You know, it, sure. it, fish get diseases like everything else. But our fish down here are uh, actually pretty healthy. So uh, yeah. you, I think you mentioned whirling disease. So uh, we did a health survey at Broken Bow in the Lower Mount Fork River back in 2018 with the Fish and Wildlife Service. Uh, we caught a ton of fish, uh, all species. We looked at bass. We looked at some walleye, some carp. We looked at uh, rainbow trout. And they took a bunch of samples, blood samples, liver samples, uh, looking at what, what they could find. Uh, coming When it looks looking at trout, you know, we don't have whirling disease, whirling disease here, not that I know of. Um, and then the other thing, too, so looking at our bass, 
one big thing years ago was a largemouth bass virus. So we've had that in some water bodies before. They're like, oh, yeah, it's in broken bow. But, you know, the fish, I don't know if it's that they get immune to it or it just kind of passes through and, and, and then it's, you know, it, it's here and gone. Yeah, so, it's not passed on right, from right. fry to fry to fry. Yeah. Yep. So they did find that in broken bow. But, you know, we've got healthy fish in broken bow. We've sampled it several times since then. And, yeah. and so we've got pretty healthy fish down there. Um, uh, things can make fish sick. Uh Fire ant toxicity is an issue we've had a couple times in the Mountain Fork. For those of you who don't know, uh, fire ants are toxic, but the fish don't know that. So when we get tons of rain, um, you'll have the rain wash ants into the stream. They'll wash out their their, their ant colony. Yeah. Uh, the, the ants will kind of, I don't want to say band together, but kind of create a flotilla, right? They'll all kind of grab together. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, so, so the trail, I mean, that just looks like a meal of them. Yeah. And they will eat so many that it makes them sick and it can't kill them. So we've had that happen. Normally it's with mostly the smaller fish. Yeah. We'll have it happen to some bigger fish. We had it happen this year. We had it happen back in 2018. Um, I think each time when we found dead fish from that, we're talking 20 in the mountain fork. Oh, okay. So nothing, nothing to worry about. Sure. Um, But, you know, and and some, if they don't eat enough, it'll almost kind of make them, um, they'll lose their kind of, uh, what's, what's that? The buoyancy, their ability to. Like their swim bladder gets all jacked up. Basically, the, the, they're not able to stabilize themselves, and they'll kind of oh. tilt into the side and just out, out of equilibrium. Yes, there we go. Yeah, yeah out, they'll be out of equilibrium. That's um, what happens to me when I eat Chick Fil A. <laughs> <laughs> I get, I, I lose my buoyancy. Like yeah. I, I can't get stable. Yeah, you're trying to take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so and, and they, if they don't eat too many, it, that can happen, and then they do seem to come out of that. But yeah, so that so that's the only uh, instance example. I can think of. A fish actually get like getting sick. So when was this um, <clears throat> largemouth bass virus um, there? When was that present? So in Broken Bell, I'm not sure when it was first present. Um, you know, they, they documented it in fish as in 2018. Um, it went hmm. through Sardis and some of our other bigger reservoirs back in the early 2000s. And what did this actually do to them? Uh, so it does. It can kill some fish um, as, as far as other symptoms and stuff. I, I'm not sure. I don't. I don't is there any like external cues? The no. way they look, it's just some some itty bitty bug inside of them, and that's that. Right. right. Gotcha. It, it, yeah. Yeah. So there's no real external cues. You know, some fish you can tell are, are like just not acting right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. yeah. okay. Okay. Because I know that in Broken Bow, March 31st, 1999, William Cross caught the state record out there. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Well, that fish was plump. Uh, extremely plump. <laughs> It, uh, there have been, I think, three other state records caught since then uh, within largemouth bass, but none of them present as impressively via photograph as William Cross's did. Yeah, some fish are just more photogenic. Man, that would think, whew, goodness. Yeah. And I had, a, I had the fortune of speaking with him about his fish. I did some digging and did some digging, and I found his number. Like I called him, him up. You're like a telemarketer. And you know what? You're going to get His him. wife answered, and she goes, Bill, something's on the phone. Won't talk about your fish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Heck yeah, I'll talk to you about my fish. He <laughs> caught this thing. He was in a tournament on March 31st fishing in a sleet storm and caught it. Yeah. I can tell more about that later, but we need to get with these guys. So it's, it's really interesting, like – when you talked about the fire ants, because in Utah we we live for the cicada hatch, because those trout just go insane for 
for those cicadas, right? And and not every year do we have giant cicadas up there. Some years it's the medium ones. Some years it's the big mondo cicadas. So what is there any other terrestrials besides ants that could be harmful? Because I know fish eat a lot of terrestrials, right? They eat a lot of you know spiders and grasshoppers, you know, grasshoppers, and all these things. But it's specifically the ants that that can cause problems for them. Yeah, specifically the fire ants. The fire I'm, ants. I'm sure there's other things that you know aren't good good yeah. for them to eat. But yeah, that's because bass will eat anything. You're aware of, um, you know, like we well, like we've asked Ethan, you know, in what way can anglers help you, Ethan? Same goes to you, uh, David. Um, out there, you know what what. What are some of your challenges? What can we do to help you out there? You, you know, I, I think we covered a lot of it when we were talking about the, the funding mechanism. But, you know, we, we face the same problems that Ethan does. Same River, challenges. You know, just people not picking up their trash. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, I, I don't know how you can say that, you know, you're an angler and you love to be outdoors and just leave, you know, your worms den a styrofoam styrofoam container right next to the yeah. lake. And, and that does like not that. break down. That, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just, yeah. We, we have to pick it up before we run it over with the mower. It takes more time on our hands, and, and that's time we can't spend, you know, uh, doing more for the fishery, out sampling. Sure. And, and with our sampling, you know, that, a lot of that's just monitoring. We know things aren't going to go anywhere, but it takes up time that we could do, you know, with research, you know, growing bigger fish, do, doing things like that, providing a better user experience. Um, I've got a question, and I mentioned it when it was just Josh, myself, and Dan, and then we had a listener ask it as well. Um, during this uh, transitional time from trout to uh, spawning smallmouth and other uh, bass and stuff, does the presence of trout affect the population of the spawning bass due to like them eating eggs and things like that? So, you know, I can't answer that yes or no. I've, I've never seen smallmouth bass eat trout egg we're also talking about a trout that's been introduced um do we have trout when smallmouth bass are spawning and yeah absolutely you know yeah uh, lower to mid 60s is when that's money time is money time for the bass spawn and you're talking about a trout a rainbow trout's threshold is around 72 degrees so absolutely they're coexisting where we're introducing these trout um you know our 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 bass populations um, we're seeing recruitment still. Um, catch rates are still high. What does recruitment mean to with you guys? So recruitment to us is when a a bass gets big enough to actually reproduce and f- further ecologically improve the population. Oh, okay. so when they it's old enough to propagate. Yeah, basically. Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yes. Um, and so I'm done recruiting. <laughs> Me too. Amen. <laughs> Um, so we're definitely seeing all size classes of bass still in the Blue River. Mm-hmm. Um, the catch rates are high. Um, relative weights are high. Um, are they still competing for food? I would say both of these species are very opportunistic eaters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there some crossover on stuff that they're they're eating? Absolutely. There's got to be. I yeah. Mean, there's no way they couldn't. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's at a rate that. Is, is harmful for either one of these. Um, yeah, because they coexist in that that fishery, that body of water, that stream, uh, the ri- the Blue River. For I mean, how long have they been stocking it with trout? So sixty eight was the first year. So and did do they 
currently stock with large mouth and small mouth in there, or is they is that population just kind of self-sustaining in there? That population self-sustaining. Um, small mouth were introduced into Blue River. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if a lot of people know that, um, but um, from like the mid seventies, seventy five. I believe 91 smallmouth bass were introduced. Um, oh, so had, for like a 15 year period there, they right. Cool. That's and, really interesting. And so, um, in Oklahoma, we have a couple species of smallmouth. Um, we have a neosho, which is kind of our native smallmouth. Uh, and then we have this, this other strain, you can call it Tennessee strain a Northern strain, whatever you want to call it. And that's what was actually introduced into the blue river, the Northern strain, the Northern strain, Tennessee, Tennessee strain, yeah. whatever, what Eastern yeah. strain, whatever you want to call it. Um, that's the species of smallmouth that we have. They were stocked for a 15, 16 year period, almost annually. I don't know. There might've been a, a year or two missing right there, but, uh, um, they were introduced then. Um, but we do have natives, a really healthy native spotted bass population. Yeah. Um, they're, and by healthy, I mean, they're, they're numerous. Um, mm-hmm. and then, and then there's largemouth. um, you know, it, a large mouth is seeing a lot of reservoirs and stuff like that, but they're in, Lodic systems too, meaning moving water. You just don't see them as prevalent or as often as yeah. you're, you're going to see that small mouth or that spotted bass. Yeah. What's your, um, so I know, uh, David, you, you, you've discussed, you know, a hybrid in, in looking at, uh, you know, some sand bass up in a Creek and things like that. White bass, whatever you want to call them. I call them sandbags. Um, so you have temperate bass right in your waters. No, no. No, Ethan does not have temperate bass in there. Okay. And don't sleep on the, the smally population there. It's good. Yeah, it's good. There's good. There's really good quality you fish in there. Get you a little five weight or six weight and go down there and slay. Six weight and just destroy. Yeah. yeah. Six yeah. weight. Spots too. Get a six weight. Yeah. Get a six weight. Yeah. Get it anyway. Just go. Yeah. Just, just go, go for it. And pay your stuff. And buy a license. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Please buy a license. Right. So uh, yeah. that, that brings me to this question I'm glad you brought it up. So balancing the need of the fishery versus, you know, appeasing the recreational angler. Like how, how do you guys balance that? Like, do you assess the, the population of fish and then base the, the limit around like what's there. Right. And then obviously that gets published. So how do, how do you guys, like what goes into that? That's management. Yeah. 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 How does that work for you guys? Does it, if, if you see bad numbers, would you stock more or would you just put different restrictions on limits? There's, there's there's more than one way to skin a cat. I think a lot of, especially talking about like a trout fishery, um, a seasonal trout fishery. Sure. Um, a lot of that stocking effort is just as much social as, mm. as a management. Um, and that's where some of our other tools, you know, David talked about electrofishing, but there's a lot of hands-on, or hands-on stuff, but not necessarily sampling fish. But if you're talking about creel surveys and other stuff like average catch rates for anglers for a day mm-hmm. or whatever. And then we can extrapolate that out to how many users we have on the area and how many times a, a, a year they're coming fishing and see what kind of pressure we're actually getting and adjust those numbers that way. Um, so the, the, I got gotcha you. That, okay. that would lead. So it's to- like a kind of looking at the fishing report, the Oklahoma fishing report. And so where say this guy in this County says, you know, slow, good, fair, excellent fishing He's actually probably gathering that data from anglers. Right. 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 Yeah, he's not going out there and, and trying to target each species to, to figure that out. He's doing that from speaking. Maybe, maybe if he's smart, he is, you know, right? He'd spend a couple hours in the blue yeah. fishing. And like, I didn't catch any spots. You know, it's, it's slow there. But, you know, best spend Tuesday, Wednesday on, on some small. I, I definitely, right. um, 
do that fishing reporter am i told to do that for fishing report on a weekly basis uh-huh. um, and most of the time that's talking to anglers or just i'm out there always checking the area yeah seeing anglers communicating with them hey what's what's working what's not mm-hmm. um and 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 most of the time that's where that intel is coming from yeah. gotcha yeah. and would you say that most of the guys that are issuing that report that's how they're gathering their data as well i would think so too yeah and and, I, and that I, makes the most sense and i'm i'm in a u- unique position i like Literally, I'm at Blue River, unless I'm not working. Right, I, right. I'm, yeah. I'm there, yeah, um, and that and that's where we talked about my position being a lot different than other biologists. I'm physically at that fishery. Yeah, yeah. Every day, pretty much, unless I'm off doing something else. Where David is having to travel that, and he's not going to that same reservoir or whatever every day. So, yeah. A lot of times they'll have a local angler or whatever that is out there fishing it or, you know, that's his home lake. And, and a lot of times those anglers will communicate with us pretty well. And, and, and it works. And a lot of game wardens um, publish those fishing reports as well. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. Obviously we have a, a pretty active stocking program here in Oklahoma with various different species of fish. And so what would be the pros and cons to that? Like the pros and cons to hatchery fish. Uh, being introduced into are you talking about just trout or like all no. species well because we just don't stock trout right like we stock other fish too oh yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah so is there any pros and cons to that for you guys i wouldn't think of it as, as, as pros and cons as much as i would think of it as uh uh benefits and trade-offs yeah and, or and, drawbacks right yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. not so so there's several reasons we'll stock so we'll stock uh you get a species started, so you get a new pond. You got to put fish in it. Uh, we'll stock uh, to supplement. So that's kind of what we like. What, what you do at Blue River, right? For the catfish, is supplemental stocking. Like there's some catfish in there, but you know you want some more. You want good catch rates. Um, you know some species. Uh, if we stock in most area of our areas, if we didn't stock trout, there wouldn't be trout. Um, with our bass, like our Florida bass uh, uh, that we stock, you know we, we do that to introduce the the better genetics yeah. and grow bigger fish um so th- there's all th- sorts of different reasons so um and, and going back to the kind of how, how we manage things it, it, it depends what we're trying to do um with, with with this if we look at a fishery so a fishery is made up of three parts we have the habitat so you know the water the uh, the requirements of these fish within their, their environment uh, we have the biota, so the fish themselves, that, that those interactions, and then the human user. And so as we try to manage this, we manipulate one or the other of these. And, and stocking is just kind of one of the ways that we do that. Sure. So um, it, it, it it's it's kind of a science, but also kind of an art. And sometimes we just like, well, let's, let's put some in and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Like tiger bass in Grand Lake. Yep. It's a dance. I yeah. get it. How's that yeah. doing? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not the biologist for up there. Uh, it's early. You know, if you want to stock and if you want to stock anything or change a regulation, uh, we recently had that the, the change in the trout limit. Uh, you've got to give it some time. Yeah. So, oh, so yeah. you know, the, yeah. the, 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 with the trout, you know, we know immediately the impacts of going from six to three. You know, people you know, don't like it. They they do like it. You know, whatever. With bass and trying to change their genetic. So that we have bigger bass, yeah, really realistically, you, you need to allow like seven to ten years for sure. Oh, so yeah, yeah it, for it's, those it's genetics gonna, to move around, right, yeah. Right. So 
Um, and, and a lot of that too, that there's other things that, you know, factor into that is the density of the bass. So, mm-hmm. uh, when, you know, Ethan, and I don't know how this plays at Blue River, but, uh, when, when you guys are going out and catching fish, you know, Ethan might want you to leave the smallmouth alone, but spots and especially, especially if you fish any of our reservoirs, keep some bass. Yeah. Keep, keep some largemouth bass. We, we talk about you, that yeah, on here. If, I mean, if you, if you guys want bigger bass in Oklahoma, uh, we need to start keeping some fish. You know, harvest some fish. You know, I brought that up. We we talked about that because, you know, with fly anglers. Oh, don't keep fish. It, it's catch one of those things where, you know, we practice catch and release. But from a conservation standpoint, catch and release isn't always the best and the healthiest for the fishery. Um, we found that out in Utah. You know, a lot of people, oh, let me put this fish back. You know, well, it's a stock rainbow and he's probably going to die or he's going to get eaten by a hawk or some other angler is going to catch him and he's going to die anyway, right? And so being able to keep a limit of fish is actually, in my opinion, is probably okay. That's why the and, limits are there. And seeing some of these yeah. genetics, right? Like, just like in deer, you know, I know in some areas where, where I moved from, they had to close certain areas because they had a bad gene in, in the deer population, right? Is the, the, the antler spread, was a, it was a bad gene. So, hmm. you know, with, with bass, I've caught bass that's got these giant heads and these smaller bodies or... You know, they're they're just not that pretty bass that we're using, like 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 guy on the wall there, Gus. Right? Yeah, like Gus. So, um, being able to pull some of these fish out, kind of, I would say, from what you're saying, helps the fishery. So, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. it's okay to keep fish, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, there's that brings like, up. I'd go like ahead. to extrapolate that on yeah. a little bit more too, especially you know I'm I'm familiar with Blue Water or Blue River, so I want to talk about that. I think a lot of people don't understand what goes into raising these fish in a hatchery, transporting these fish and what it actually takes for our hatchery staff and these biologists and technicians that work for the state to actually get these fish to the waters that they're planning to go to. So for trout, it's easy for me to talk about because that's our biggest um, draw to Blue River is the wintertime trout fishery. You know, these trout um, at the beginning of the year are actually raised in Arkansas. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service raises these. Mm -hmm. So our hatchery normally... The Durant hatchery, other hatcheries help as well, but it's normally the Durant hatchery, um, is driving eight hours over to Greer's Ferry or Norfolk uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service hatchery um, the day before, spending a night away from their families, um, picking those, you know, disinfecting trucks, picking those fish up. Doing the work. Doing the work, yeah, exactly. And then transporting them back and then spending a few hours stocking these fish correctly. And, and we stock in a lot of places at Blue River. It's not just to drive up and dump them off the back of your truck. There's a lot of effort. You know, that one mm-hmm. truck is going to be split into three different trucks and go to different sections of the river. So there's just a lot that goes into it, and I don't think a lot of people realize that. Yep. Um, yeah. It's not just picking fish up, dumping fish out. Man. And it, I mean, it even starts from when we start rearing these fish in the hatcheries from, you know, when, they, when they're eggs. Um I know with TU, one of the things I did in Utah, and I didn't think it was going to work, we did trout in the classroom where we got with the wildlife department, got some eggs, and the kids got to raise some trout. Now, one of the requirements for that, we couldn't release it back into a stream. Uh, It had to be released into one of the reservoirs just due to, you know, it's been in an aquarium. So there's, there's, you know, parasites and whatever could be on this fish, and we don't want to contaminate an entire stream system. But... um, 
So, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot that goes into raising these fish just in a, in a raceway and, and making sure they're healthy to travel. And even even going back further than just that, too, there's negotiations and trout or species of fish that we don't necessarily raise well mm-hmm. that we're actually trading other states. Oh, wow. Okay. We, may, we may raise something really well that they can't raise well, but they mm-hmm. raise this. And so there's this trade off, a trade off, and hey, we'll give you this if you give us, you know, we'll give you Y if you give us X or whatever. So for for people to just realize and be maybe be aware that, you know, that that fish that you caught, can you imagine how many miles, dollars per gallon, effort, man hours and stuff it took for that fish? You know, I I I know it. I I've been on the rivers when guys are stalking. I've seen the work. I've I've helped out. You know, I've seen this stuff and I don't think a lot of anglers have the opportunity to see that the work that goes in behind that man and and we'd appreciate the heck out of you guys for sure. When for guys like you and and the rest of them, man, we wouldn't be smacking fish up, you know. So um there are two things I wanted to touch base on. Um so one is the we we've seen recently a lot of largemouth bass presenting with like this dark coloration pigments and stuff like that. Um, I've caught some, um, it it, it was before they released, Hey, we want info on that and stuff. Um, what do you guys know about that? And that's how that's progressing and stuff and what the case may be. And then also, um, you had mentioned the Neo show, um, you know, fishing for the Neo show and where the Neo show resides and, Knowing a lot of anglers, you hear a bunch of hearsay about the, the Neo show, um, where it originated. Are there still some pure ones left? Are there not? Are they bred out? Uh, things like that. Um, that we just can't. Uh, the, the streamside talk is not always <laughs> super knowledgeable. So now I've got these guys sitting in front of me. So let's tap it. Yeah. Yeah. If we're talking about the Neo show, I, I, I feel pretty confident in saying that I'm definitely not the one you need to be talked to. And Bogner, no. they know a little bit more than me, but that stream team we were referring to. They know. Those are your dudes. They will blow your mind. Yeah. I, I mean, they, they are all up in it. We got to get them. Got to get them. They do. I will buy them some pizza. They do some serious research. Like, that is what they're, they're driven by research papers. Yeah. They, they pump them out left and right. Um, that is cool. So that and, and David was saying that's a four-person team that's going to be uh, two biologists and two techs. Um, you know, and that's 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 pretty. I mean, for the listeners, just think about that. We got a team of four people that manage the state moving yeah. wa- moving bodies of water. That's right. What, yeah, and so you, you can only imagine the time that they put in and. The mileage. Yeah, the mileage they put in and really how much time they actually have to themselves. That's right. You know, I'm, I'm sure they're, I mean, they're at work probably more than they're at home. I mean, as much land that they have to and cover. If they're, if they're pumping out articles and stuff on this stuff and, and research on that, I mean, you take that home, you're writing on that for months. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're building that thing. Yeah. And, that, yeah. and they're good at it. Yeah. They are immensely good. You ever see, like, the other guys? Oh, is it, is it the other guys? Yeah, the, the the Will Ferrell movie. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah okay. You've got yeah. the really cool guys that you know are jumping off a building because they're you know everyone's like oh it's those guys. that's that's I gotta say that's that's yeah. the stream team. That's, that's the, the stream they're, team. They're, they're, yeah. they're the A team. They're, they're really good at what they do. That's they, they that's know cool. That is super cool, man. It'd be yeah. cool to have a have a conversation. So with those so guys. right now you guys don't feel comfortable speaking on the Neo Show. Um, 
Right, right. So, so here's what I'm going to say, and, and they can come on and tell you I'm wrong, and, and, and that's fine. But uh, th- with, with your question, so with the blotchy bass, Let's go, let's yeah, go yeah. Large the large bass. mouth. Yeah, yeah. Is that only large mouth, or is that is that appearing in other bass? I don't as well? know. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Do you know, Ethan? I don't know. I'm I'm assuming it'll be other species as well. Right, and it's not necessarily a disease. It's a phenotypic variation. So going back to you know genetics and in yeah. high school phenotypes, school, yeah, and yeah, stuff. yeah. What's displayed? What causes it? I don't know. It's you know we see it in some areas. Some areas we don't. Still eat the fish. It's nothing like dangerous. Sure. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So gotcha. it, it, it's just real, real interesting. With the Neosho fish, um, they've done a lot of surveys, a lot of uh, caught a lot of fish, looked at their ages, and, and that's something we should have touched on when we're talking about our surveys. So there's the you know our fish surveys where we actually touch fish and, and look at those, but then angler surveys, asking the anglers, and that's how we get that some of that uh, the human users data. Um, but they have, or the stream teams looked at uh, the fish genetics, the, the, the age of these fish. They can use the olith, which is considered like the inner ear bone of the fish, and it lays down rings, or cal- it's a calcified structure, so it down, lays down rings like a, a tree would. And they can ca- count that and, age. and, they, and they look at the age, and they get growth rates and all that from that. Um, and they, they've looked at that based on the introgression of those Tennessee strain, of the Tennessee mm. strain smallmouth. And so it, the, the problem with that was that the Tennessee strain were stocked in the reservoirs because they do better in the reservoirs. The Neosho kind of just stay out of that, if I remember correctly. And, but there is some interaggression, some interbreeding, and that can disrupt or increase some of that growth. Um, I don't know if there's any uh, f- like pure Neosho, I would think, in some of the upper reaches, maybe. Um, but I do know that there are plenty of fish that at least have some Neosho. So they're not like wiped out. Um, right. But okay. th- that's that's about all we can say. The other thing with that too is, um, and I only know this talking to our uh, stream team people, but they, there's when it comes to the genetics and looking at what makes a species, especially for bass, there is a lot of people, that, you know, I think it's lumpers and splitters. And there's now considered a third strain of uh, smallmouth bass in Oklahoma. We we just read about that. So the Little River bass. Yeah. Yep. This so this was like uh, they they said something about what like three four months ago. Some so I, I I I don't know sure when, when exactly but or anything. Yeah. Basically, in when you have the Glover River and you have the uh, Lower Mountain Fork, the Mountain Fork River. Those were considered slightly different from the Neosho. They were called Washita bass. Mm-hmm. And apparently they've decided that Washita bass actually fits more of what's in Arkansas. And they have now are calling those bass the Little River bass. Mm-hmm. And so it's, uh, you know, huh. how are they different? I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell right. you about them, but the, apparently genetics they are. Genetics wise. Right. So yeah. um, th- there is that. And where, where do you think the... The lion's share of Neosho bass live and thrive. In Oklahoma, that that, that would be the, the Illinois, the Illinois yeah, River drainage. That, yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Upper, yeah. Yep. yep, that's what I was thinking too. Yep. So, and that would kind of lead me to this, and and you kind of answer that as far as like, you know, how do you stay up to date on research? Well, you got four people that make sure that you, you know, the wildlife department or at least the fisheries department is up to snuff on what's going on with your fisheries. So um, now do you have any other 
staff that's outside of those that do extensive research on different things? Those guys are just strictly the rivers and streams. Okay. That's the stream team. So they, everybody else is kind of a, they're kind of boots on the ground. They're boots on the ground for streams and rivers. Now, like David, he's over several reservoirs and they're doing the same kind of management practices and studies. Sure. Looking at communities and using different, um, different, uh, tools or models, um, to collect fishes. And depending on the species of fish depends on this, the tool that we're using to catch them, you know, he brought, mm-hmm. he brought the electrofishing for bass. That's, that's pretty standard throughout the United States. But, you know, you go to talking about temperate basses, you're using a totally different method, like a gill net, um, a different time of year. And so all these things play out into our time frame and, and schedule where we're actually sampling fish for quite a while, but there may be, you know, we're heavy in the spring Heavy, heavy for the maronids um, or the temperate basses in, in the latter part of the winter time is when we're sampling those. Um, you know, and those are just some of the gears and, and tools that we have in our trade to help us do the job. And so it's not just the electrofishing that he talked sure. about earlier. Yeah. Now, um, do you guys do, do you, I know you probably work with like Arkansas Fish and Wildlife Services and things like that over there, but do you ever go further reaches to other states and kind of see, you know, what some of their management practices are and things like that. Maybe, you know, swap, you know, techniques or procedures or anything like that. Right. So uh, within a, within the Department of Wildlife, we have several like committees that kind of look at stuff and, the, and we pull from different areas. So uh, looking at how uh, Arkansas manages bass or Texas manages bass and things like that. Yeah, we, we do that some. There's big conferences uh, going back to the research thing you mentioned, you know, those guys, we talked about the stream team and how they just do rivers and streams, but we have a research lab and they just do a little bit of everything. Yeah. So okay. recently they've been working on um, when we do our catfish sampling, uh, we see a lot of really small catfish and we don't see a lot of the bigger catfish. And so right now they're, they're kind of working on why is that, what method do we need to use to find them? Because we know they're out there. Yeah. And so they're, you know, like, what if we use really big jug lines and really big gill nets during, I, I can't remember if it was during winter or whatever, and, and find out how do we fill those holes in, or how do we, yeah, how do we fill those gaps in our knowledge? And, and so we have a lot of people doing that, um, maybe not at Blue River as much, but we also have the ability to do our own research. Uh, so, uh, you know, right now we're working on one of our pu- uh, public fishing areas, like, how big can we grow a bass? Like, if mm-hmm. like what what tools when we get to something the size of Grand Lake, Texoma, Broken Bow, something like that, there's only so much we can do, right? To 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 make bass bigger, um, trout are too expensive. We can't just like fill them full of trout, uh, and and so what can we do? So on some of our smaller properties with smaller uh, lakes, we can pull a lot of bass out, and and that's kind of what goes into our regulation for for bass. Is if by keeping these bass, there's more food available for the other ones. The growth rates increase; they get bigger. Uh, so we're uh, doing that at one of our lakes uh, with an electric fishing boat. Like we can get a lot of bass with electric fishing boat. Yeah, yeah. And if we pull those out and leave the remain bass to get bigger, you know, how big can we push them? How quickly? Um, but getting back to the the part about going out to other states, we don't go. <laughs> probably work with other states directly as yeah. much as you would think. 
uh, our biologist, Cliff Sager, uh, at Texoma, he works a lot with Texas because that's a joint water body. Right. We don't have a lot of water bodies that are right on state lines, but we'll go to uh, different conferences. So there's uh, a southern division. um, It's called American Fisheries Society. Uh, It's a professional society for biologists. Uh, people will go to those meetings. Uh, I went to a habitat meeting last uh, fall about fish habitat, things people have done, you know, what, what can we do to make work type stuff. So there is uh, that opportunity uh, to do that, and, and we do work across kind of those state lines. Um, and there's, there, you know, people will hit other people up about, you know, papers. Hey, you published this paper. Can you tell, tell me about it? What what worked for you? What didn't work? Um, COVID really kind of changed a lot of stuff. So a lot of places started putting more research uh, more, not necessarily podcasts, but presentations out on YouTube and stuff like that. You know, in the reservoir world, you know, live scope's a big thing. And yeah. The impact of live scope on crappie, and you know, we, we can now tie into what Arkansas is doing, what Kansas has done, things like that. Okay. Yeah. You know, I read an interesting article a while back, and it was about the reintroduction of wolves in the Yellowstone. And basically, what had happened: the native Yellowstone cutthroat populations had decreased. Um, and, I'll, and, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was the, the Yellowstone cutthroat. And what happened was the bison and all the, the hoofed mammals would trampled the riparian areas down. The undulates. Yeah. yeah. And so all your aquatic vegetation, you know, your grasses and things like that basically diminished. They ate it all and, or trampled it, and the water temps increased because there's not these shaded areas and things to help cool the water temps. And so when they reintroduced the wolves or the wolves became more popular back into Yellowstone and start eating some of these... Or at least scaring them off. Yeah, these yeah. undulates, well, these riparian areas <laughs> repopulated, essentially. Those water temps came down and those fish start thriving again. And I and I can't say for sure if they stock. I don't think they stock that. It's but. just beautiful, that trickle effect, you know, that wildlife can have, you know, when it's introduced or reintroduced into a system. Well, that just tells you how sensitive these ecosystems are, right? Yeah. You start talking about the sensitivity of an ecosystem and you remove one indicator species or a key species of, of uh, let's say, a crayfish or, or something Forged like fish that. Or yeah. even a predator. Or a predator. Yeah. You could essentially ruin a fishery right and i and to me that's like the really interesting part about you know fisheries fishing fish biology is is how sensitive these fisheries are you know you look at all that the stuff these guys are doing up in the pacific northwest with the steelhead stocking and salmon stocking and all that and and how those those fish are screwing up the <laughs> the native populations in some sort, right? Because of the way they can co-mingle and coexist and breed and all these different weird things. I don't know. But um so yeah, I thought that was a real interesting article that yeah, I read. The introduction and, of the wolves. Um and the, yeah, there was a big I think there was even like a movie about that as well. Um but speaking of wolves, I would like to speak of my favorite wolf in Oklahoma, and that is the striper, the striped bass. Um, that's, that's the shark of Oklahoma. Yeah, right there, for sure. It's the ultimate predator for me. It's it's my favorite one to target. Um, so elusive, so so challenging, so much fun. Well, there's two wolves. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. The, the, uh, there's the alligator gar. gar. Um, and then there's the striper. Whenever it comes to the striper, you know, if you look at them, 
historically where these big fish are caught. You know, of course, the the current state records is the lower Illinois. Um, there was a guy, I think he was Illinois River-ish, Arkansas River, um, recently caught one that was 10 ounces shy of that. Uh, state yep. record. Yeah. Yep. So that was. That um, yeah. So I got I, I got to be out there when we waited, um, and so that was. Right you got below to be you. there. Yeah. So that was right below you fall out. So okay. We, we, we consider that part of the Arkansas River drainage. I was. That's where I was going with it. So and there was another guy that was probably about a pound shy of the state record below you fall out. No, that's 90, the one I was taking. Yeah. Ninety nine. Okay. That was a long long yeah, time ago. That, that one. one. Um, so. Those being the two most prolific fisheries, the Arkansas, I guess is that that's one river basin. So even below, yeah, there is that point where they meet the North Canadian meets the Arkansas right there, and then yeah, all right, yeah. So that's still even below Eufaula Dam is Arkansas River Basin. I would consider, I guess, yeah, yeah. So even though it's the North Canadian, after that dam, that is the North Canadian River. Right, that's North Canadian, but it, it depends. You know, you have basins and sub basins. Yeah. Where where do you want to to, to draw that divine line? I, I think you would consider that the Arkansas River Basin. Yeah, I would no. think so. Yeah, I mean, so. It's, it's, our, it's our big dog here in the state, isn't it? The Arkansas River Basin. It's the biggest one, right? Our biggest basin. Yeah. Sure. Let's go with that. I would. Uh, okay. I think so. You know, I, I would I mean, say yeah because I think there's more lakes attached to it than I know of on on the. North Canadian, I think. Well, it's weird because I, I, I'm going to say yes, because like the Colorado River Basin, it encompasses the Green River that starts in Wyoming. And it goes all the way to where it, it starts the Grand Canyon, you know, the Colorado, right. where it meets and it changes from the Green to the Colorado River. Yeah. And so, so... So what you're asking, though, is related to the stripers down there. Yes. And so the stripers below you follow have access to the Arkansas. Right? Mm-hmm. So yes. they're, they're all... They're not two uh, disjoint populations, I, I guess. I'd say. That, 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 that's what I'd, I'd say. Yeah. That. So and that's, that's one same thing... Same population also, of fish. I was going to... Right. Look, like, uh, you know, the, the, they can move... Yeah, they, they move. They they might you know not all interbreed all together. There's you know some site sort of site fidelity. I'm sure you know within different arms or slight differences, but there's there's not a, a bottleneck like that dam would create. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's what I was going to get to is is the actually the populations of of you know our salt free striper in Oklahoma and you know how many separate populations are there. Or do you guys consider this one population? In, in the Arkansas? In Oklahoma. So I guess that would be the Arkansas. Our, our Arkansas and Texoma, right? I, I would say it's one species. Now, if you right. recall, that's absolutely a different population. I mean, the okay. Texoma striper is not getting up to you follow. Right, right. Um, so that would be a different population. Mm-hmm. Same, Same species. species. Yeah. Yep. yep. So, like, would you say, like, there's a... They're cousins. Uh, the below Caw Dam, that is a population, perhaps, whereas... And then there's the below Keystone. Is that yet another population? And perhaps below Eufaula, is that perhaps another population? So... So with that, what you're going to want to do is, is look at how these water bodies, these rivers are connected. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, in in terms of different populations, um, you, you know, fish can go over a dam; they can't go back up. Right. Right. Yeah. So, right. anything below Eufaula, and I'm not good with all the dams on the Arkansas. It seems like they're always putting another one. I can't ever keep them straight. But um, <laughs> truth. there's 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 you know the ones below Eufaula can get into certain portions of the Arkansas with. Some locking dams that you yeah. know, provide some some access some uh, flow genetics, mm-hmm. and then I, th- I I don't know how you would consider the other populations. I think you would consider them other populations in terms of management because you know if we're talking bass um, at Broken Bow or Pine Creek. You know those are two disjoint populations, and and, and we manage them as such. Now a species that you know could pass some genetics down going over a dam or something that, that's slightly different, but. You know, they would they would definitely set regulations if they needed to different on those different reservoirs. Yeah, uh, I got you. Based, now. On, based okay. on what they need. Yeah, so the way you guys would handle them and manage them as their own population because they're kind of in a separated body of water. Yeah. <clears throat> With keeping in mind yeah. that, you know, however, they flow in one into the other, uh, that there is that that genetic through, that genetic connection. Sure. One sure. way. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would imagine if they're looking at the totality of the, the striper population in Oklahoma, in totality, you have the Oklahoma striped bass, right? And then they have these individual populations based on the reservoir where they're at, right? Like we got the Keystone stripers, we got the ones sure. over in Texoma, you know? Yep. And of course, those on a micro level are managed by that reservoir, right? So, like, there's how they're managed at Keystone or how they're managed at Eufaula, right? But so, because they're in the tailwaters of these lakes, are would that not fall to the reservoir? Would that follow fall to the stream team? Good question. So uh, it's it, it tailwaters. I don't know if, if they're managed, but they're it, it's it's kind of a weird thing. I get a lot of you know I've got below broken bow. Uh, but yeah. I don't necessarily have below Pine Creek. It uh, they do a lot of different research on that. A lot of that research is, is passed on through other universities. Um, but it really depends. Is it more? You know, you, you'll you'll have some reservoirs where the upper end of the reservoir backs up to the tailwater of, no, of a different reservoir. Yeah, yeah, and, yep. and it, it really a sticky situation. In ter- not not. It, I guess the word is convoluted. It's convoluted. Like, where, where does it fall? How do they yeah. manage? Who's responsible? Right. Is, yeah. And, and is everyone works, you know, yeah. in, in Oklahoma, everyone seems to work really good together, you know, taking care of things. But yeah. it, it is just a, a, a little bit different when they fall, something like that. Sure. So you were there in the weighing of that close to a new state record there below you, Fala. Um, what was that day like? Can you kind of paint a picture for us and what that, what that fish was like? So that, that it, I mean, it was huge. Um, it, it was incredible to see a fish that big. So um, I, w- I was down uh, at a meeting down in uh, McCurrent County, and I was on my way back home, and then you know, got the call, and you know, uh, the the biologist for that area is is actually out of the poor office, but he was out that day. So we, we went over to check on that. Um, uh, it's always interesting when someone says, "I have a record fish." Uh, one of the things we're, we're going to do is we're going to ask we're going to ask you for a picture of that fish to make sure we can positively identify it. So we have a lot of things. Well, I caught the state record spotted bass. It's like fifteen pounds. And I'm like, probably not. 
Um, yeah. But so, so, you know, with with a fish that big, you know, we're going to be pretty sure that that's what it is. So we're going to get a picture from the individual. So, you know, we went through and did that. They're like, you know, I, I think it's this. I think it's going to break the state record, you know, based on they use their own scales. Um, and they're like, all right, you know, what, what are we looking at? How big of a fish? And, and find out how big it is. Okay, so... Uh, a lot of scales really aren't that accurate. So the scales that That's we have to, a fact. Yeah. to to certify it um, are certified by the state of Oklahoma yeah. uh, through the Department of Ag. So we bring a certified scale out, we measure it um, and, and weigh it. And normally we'll take a couple weights, just nothing should be funky, but just sure. just, just to make sure, give them the benefit of the doubt, um, the, the number two bass out of Broken Bow, uh, we measured two separate times. Uh, that missed the state record by three quarters of an ounce. Oh, um, and just goodness. when the stuff is that close, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we'll give the benefit of the doubt. So with that fish, you know, we got there. It takes take some time because uh, from where I was, it was an hour to you follow dam. If I go by the office to pick up the scales, it's another hour. So it, it just takes some time. That's stress uh, on so the fish. It, yeah. So Shrinks. Right. Well, and, and, and that's the thing. You know, we do it based on weight, and and fish weight is is not going to really typically vary all that much. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so everyone's like, oh, you got to keep it alive, and 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 all this, and you know, we can measure dead fish. You know, you know, we're we're going to be a little bit more cautious with dead fish, just because you know people have in, in in the past, not necessarily in Oklahoma, but you know, in certain walleye tournaments, done some sketchy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're all aware of that. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. we're going to watch we're going to watch stuff. You know. Uh, everyone you know we've ever dealt with is is, is on the up and up. So uh, you know we we get really excited to get those calls. So so we like to go out there, you know, see the fish, weigh it. Um, you know, we, we want it to be certified. We, we we like knowing that there's a new record out there. So yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. It, it's pretty exciting. Uh, it's a great were, indicator of yeah. the fishery, right? How big was that fish? Forty six pounds. Six for uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, I know the current one's like forty-seven and change. Yeah, so it must have been forty-six. But yeah. the guys, the guy's scale was was pretty close. Um, you know, he he had it a little bit bigger than the state record, but uh, you, you know, with, with the, most of the skills are really available. You know, that there's going to be some leeway either way with that. So. Yeah, a plus and minus on it. Yeah, yep. yeah. So uh, it was definitely within you know something we'd want to go out and measure, and uh, we, you know, unfortunately, it just wasn't. You know. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that uh, that tailwater as a fishery is that. Obviously, doing really well. I want to touch base. Something. Yeah, yeah. Go uh, ahead. Just you real can... quick on that. Um, you know, we get quite a few of those calls, and sometimes it's a, a lot of the time it's a miss ID. Yeah. Um, so you know, things that would help us as a biologist. One, you know, you you call us. Hey, I've got, I've got this species X. I think it's a state record. You know, David talked about a photo. We definitely want to see a photo of it. You know, some kind of a tape measure. Mm-hmm. Um. To know how long it is, because then you know when we record all of our state records, we which we have in our regulation, that's a great tool for anglers, is to keep a, a regulation in their truck. We have all our state records in there. It's got weights. It's got links. Yeah. You know, if you say you've got a state record, I, and it's five inches short, you probably don't. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I was going to name a species and and what, but I don't. Off yeah. the top of my head, I couldn't tell you how long X species was for the state record, but that yeah. that length is in there, and it's also got a lot of them will have a girth measurement as well. Uh-huh. Yep. And so you can oops. get that relative weight, like we were talking about, um, probably off of a formula, even if you don't have scales with that dude. Yeah, kinda, there's so a lot you, of those. Put you kind of yeah, close. Right. Yeah, yeah there's do the, some research and find that formula, but yeah, but uh, that's a huge key for our 
you know, our constituents is to keep a, a, a copy of that regulation because all of that information is in there. And like you said, if you're five inches short, unless we're talking about a, a alligator gar where five inches mm-hmm. is still a it, lot. Yeah, but, but it's not fish, much. But that fish could be huge. Blurry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, but something on a small fish, you know, a, a couple inches or a tenth of an or you know a quarter inches is, is a big difference, but yeah, that's a good tool for for our anglers. To yeah, make. and I imagine you could probably use the IGFA measuring formula, um, length and girth, just to get an estimate before you call these guys. Yeah, and then you can check the. Or they try to get you guys out of bed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, that's to me. I mean, I'm excited when I hear people catch a giant fish. Like it gets me excited. I don't care if it's state record or not. If a guy catches a 45 pound striper, I'm like. That's big. That's massive. Right? That's a massive Let's fish. Go. Yeah. But to say that it's a state record again, I that's that's good advice. Keep the regulations with you so you can see what the currents are. And if you're not even within the measurements, you know, you might as well just And and I don't want this to come across rude, but the average Joe Blow, it's a giant fish to them and in their mind it's probably a state record, but we receive a lot of cases where it's, it's not. It's really not even. Yeah. It's not even close, and that's where that record in that in that regulation really comes into play. And we can yeah. ask them, "Hey, is this fish forty six inches? That's the current record right now." And if they're not close, then I congratulations. Probably. That was an awesome catch, man. Yeah, good you fish, know. bud. Yeah. Um, so not quite there. Before we, because we're, uh, we're 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 bumping close to that time, but I do have another question. I'm sure you got a couple. Uh-huh. Um, one of them is is the the this concept of how we look at trout in the Lower Mountain Fork River. Um, we know we we those fish breed down there. Yep. Right. We we do know that Absolutely. we have concrete evidence of that. But those fish are not wild. Well, they're wild. They're not native. Right. Right. So 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 non-native. Uh, you know that, that that's where they historically are. Uh, yeah. and, and not just historically, but where they naturally occur basically without human influences. Right. Uh, not native to Oklahoma, not native to most of the inner United States. Uh, so uh, they do uh, reproduce down there. So there is natural reproduction. This gets to that recruitment question you were asking earlier. Like what is uh, – it was recruitment, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so what, what does it mean to be recruited? recruited the population so it, it could be to where the, the general definition is where you're passing on large enough to reproduce pass on your genetic material it could also be recruited to the fishery being that uh, it could be caught um, but so we have natural reproduction so there are reds down there we'll get eggs out of the fish uh, there they they've um, we've documented uh, small trout in there when we've not put small trout in so that the they were naturally reproduced out there. They are not necessarily recruited to the population. So we've done a lot of studies down there. Uh, maybe not a lot, but a, a fair number. Uh, we know that um, between, I think it's 0 and 18 weeks, our uh, survival of those small trout is uh, 70%. So that sounds pretty good. But when you look at like half a million eggs and then you go out to, I think it's 18 weeks, you're looking at out to 18 weeks or or I I may have figured out for a year, but you're looking at like uh, 1,100 fish out of 
half million eggs. When you figure out you have to feed all those fish on the entomology that's out there until they're big enough to get on a crayfish or something else like that. You're looking at a lot of food. And with the current harvest rates, the current pressure down there, you would just need, you know, so many fish reproducing 